Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. Love Luke. Uh, Luke um, uh, came around, started hanging around quite a few years ago now, and I'll never forget the first Sunday he was here. He was sitting in the back and he was wearing sunglasses because he had a headache from the drunk he had been on the night before. And God jacked him up that morning, and it wasn't just a few weeks after that, and we baptized him in water, and then there was another memorable moment. And um, this is going to sound weird to some people, but I said to him, would you like to testify? He said, absolutely. He said, I don't just want to serve God, I want to be married to it. And that was the first time I heard the word married come from his mouth. It wasn't too long after that, and that word was coming out frequently. <laughs> but uh, share a little bit. Share a little bit of your testimony, Luke. Okay. Um, hi to everyone. Um, I uh, wandered in here. Uh, geez, close to six years ago now, um, I had uh, just lost my job due to the fact that I was a convicted felon, and um, I was spun completely out of control with uh, partying and, and drugs and alcohol, and my mother, uh, the God-fearing, Bible-believing woman she is, said, boy, you need to get your butt in church, and I said, well, you know what? I'll go with you because I have nothing else better to do. That was literally my, uh, my answer. So she uh, told me about this great little church around the corner from uh, where she lived. And um, it was wonderful. She'd been there a couple of times. And um, she thought I would really enjoy it. So we pull up here. I get out. And I'm instantly greeted with love, hugs, and smiles, something I wasn't used to seeing on a regular basis, um, and uh, we sat in the very back row, there's no chairs there now, but I sat there, and like like uh, Pastor said, I had my sunglasses on because I was hungover and uh, completely miserable, and um, I, I, it was funny because I asked God, who we weren't on really good speaking terms then, um, I said, you know what, God, if, if this is where you want to impact my life and change my life, let the pastor who doesn't know me from Adam say my name from the pulpit. And I'm in my feeble mind sitting here thinking that that's a request God can't fill because, of course, God can't do anything. And uh, after the praise and worship, which was great and everything, uh, I heard pastors say, okay, we're going into the Lord's Prayer study that we've been doing for a few weeks and turn to the book of Luke. I don't know why I said Luke, I meant Matthew. And so, of course, when he said that, I was like, all right, well played, God. So, uh, it, wasn't too, uh, it wasn't too long after I gave my heart to the Lord and uh, got baptized and um, I Susie caught my eye from uh, the very beginning, but I always thought she was a little younger than me, so I didn't really take an interest until we were laying sod in the backyard around the ball field, 
And uh, we were talking, and I said something like, you must be only like 16 or 17. And she looks over at me, she says, I'm 22. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> so there we go. But uh, God's been very good to us, good to me. Um, I'm close to my family, but God's blessed me with a wonderful, wonderful family that um, has done nothing but make me feel loved and supported even with all of my wrongs uh, that I've done in my life, they've never held it against me. In fact, they've helped establish a foundation to where uh, most of the trouble that I've been in and things that I've done and decisions that I've made would hold people back. They would use that as a crutch to not excel and not succeed. And being involved with uh, my family has actually shown me that, no, God doesn't use those things to hold you back. He uses them as a platform to catapult you from. And now I'm uh, in a very good job, and uh, Susie and I are very happy. We're just excelling, and there's just nothing better than just being in the will of God. So that's just a little bit, and uh, I'm not going to take up all your time. And let yeah. me say publicly, I am proud of you, and I'm Thank glad you. you're my son-in-law. Thank you. Amen. Okay. Real talk. Real talk. Real talk. That was some real talk, by the way. Amen. By the way. Amen. So, and like I told him in the first service, your greatest defense, this is a good place to say this, your greatest defense for the faith that you have is your testimony. That's right. That's your greatest defense. And Luke has an amazing testimony. All right. So we're going to talk about real talk, answering the tough questions. Uh, would you like to read this scripture for us here, please? Absolutely. 1 Peter three fifteen and 16. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to always give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. That's our springboard scripture. Has been our springboard scripture. Went ahead and had it from the King James Version here this time. Uh, and I just uh, want you to get that inside of you. And, and that part right there where it says meekness and fear, uh, the NIV says gentleness and respect. So um, it's important that when we're defending our faith, that, we're not def that we need to defend it aggressively, but we need to be gentle about that. We need to be respectful about it. We need to have a good spirit when we're defending our faith. A lot of times people ask questions because they don't know the answers. And we don't need to treat them like, well, you didn't know that because what will happen is that will just create a wall. And so, uh, uh, so let's uh, make sure that when we're sharing our faith, we're doing it with the right spirit and with the right, for the right reasons. Here's question number 11. Have a look. Oh, okay. This is great. Um, so why are there so many hypocrites in the church today? Well, you've seen right here, not going to church because of the hypocrites is like not going to the gym because of out-of-shape people. <laughs> there's out-of-shape people at the gym all the time, and if there's not, when I get there, there's at least one. <laughs> <laughs> I love going to the gym. I don't get there as much as I need to, but I love going there. It's a, good, it's a lot of good uh, just downtime and, and me time. But why are there so many hypocrites in the church? I'm going to stand up so I can see this just a little bit better from over there. But you can stay there if you want, whatever you want to do. Uh, Sam P P Pascoy is how you say his name. is an Anglican priest. He made this observation. He said, in the first century Palestine, Christianity was a community of believers. 
Then it moved to Greece and it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome and became an institution. Then it moved to Europe and became a culture. Then it moved to America and became a business. Oh, Jesus, what an indictment upon America. And I can tell you from experience, there is ministry for the sake of ministry and then there is a ministry industry out there where people are profiting from the words of Jesus and profiting from the ministry. And we have to be very careful that we're in it for the right reasons, okay? So uh, let's uh, make sure that our hearts remain right. Okay, so why are there so many Christians in the church? Why are there so many hypocrites in the church? Well, I think it's important for us to understand that not all Christians are hypocrites. That's right. Right? Isn't that right? Okay. And I think that a lot of, re- lot of the reason that uh, people feel that is because, and I've got it up here, that not everybody that attends church is a true believer. Some people are in church for the wrong reasons. They're not in church to worship God. They're not in church to serve God. They're in church because they were taught as a child, if you want to go to heaven, you go to church. Let me tell you something. I don't care how many times you go to church. If you don't have Jesus in your heart, you're not going to go to heaven. Going to church is not what gets you to heaven. Jesus being in your heart is what causes you to be able to get into heaven. So uh, there's people that are in church who are not there for the right reasons. They're not really true believers. Some are there because they think it's what you're supposed to do on Sunday morning. Some are there because they were taught if you don't go to church, you don't go to heaven. And some are actually there uh, just to see what kind of trouble they can stir up. Amen. And then... Some real Christians struggle. I think that's the biggest reason that people call people from churches hypocrites because when we're working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, none of us are perfect, are we? No, and that's, it's funny because you, you say that. I think that there's a certain stigma out there that if you're of any type of rank uh, within the church, if you participate in any uh, way, or uh, if you've been attending for a long time, that um, you're supposed to be holy, you know, that you're not going to make mistakes or, or um, you know, fall into certain problems. And it's funny because, you know, as you're talking, it's just calling to memory some of the things maybe I have done after I've been saved and um, where most Christians probably would have called me a hypocrite and have. And it's just funny because... It just reminds me that I'm human. You know, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm not perfect. I can't walk on water, you know. So uh, that's why we have Christ. That's why Christ died on the cross is to help protect us. It's when I think, in my opinion, it's when you don't think that you have a problem or when you when you have that in your mind of I'm not the one with the problem. They're the ones with the problem. That's when the hypocrisy takes effect and it's hard to redeem yourself from that. I'll tell you, I, let, me, let me be a little bit transparent here. Uh, most of you know, and if you don't know, you can get my book back there uh, called Marriage on the Rocks. Uh, about 20 years ago, Donna and I had a hiccup in our marriage. It was more than a hip, hiccup, but it, we ended up divorced. Well, I was pretty much raised in church. I, was, I wasn't around drinking. I wasn't around alcohol. I wasn't around you know, crazy stuff like that. I, I just what That's not my testimony. I shared a little bit of my testimony in the first service about how the night that I gave my life to Christ. Uh, But um, 
about 20 years ago, Donna and I started having problems. We've been married about 30 years now. We were divorced for 10 months and got remarried, so we counted as a restoration. But um, I had never used bad language in my life. I'm not saying that braggadociously. I'm just saying I didn't even know how to cuss. I didn't. I mean, I was raised in church. I was never around it. I told Donna, I said, you're the only person in the world that has made me so mad. I just want to cuss you. And before I knew it, I was cussing her. I mean, up one side and down the other. And, it, and she started laughing. And I said, what? She said, you really don't know how to cuss, do you? I mean, I was saying the wrong words at the wrong time. And I couldn't cuss. I just, you know, and things like that. Well, I, you know, the devil went to work on me. Well, you, you know, you've pastored churches, you all this kind of stuff, and he just worked me over good. And finally, one day, I just said, enough of that. I said, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And uh, I asked the Lord to forgive me, and I asked her to forgive me, and we got past that. But I'm telling you, if someone would have seen me in that moment, they would have said, you're a hypocrite. Let me tell you something. I still loved God. Uh, even when we were going through our trouble and our struggle, I still loved God. I still believed that Jesus was the Son of God. I talked to God on a regular basis. I had a relationship with God. Just because I was going through a struggle didn't mean that I didn't serve God, that I wasn't serving God and that I didn't love, love God. And so this is why some people think there's hypocrites in the church because real people with real problems attend churches. And so I would rather... Somebody said, well... Well, how do you feel about hypocrites attending your church? I'll, I said, I'll take them all. I'll take them all because that's what Calvary's for. That's what Calvary's for. So that's good. All right, now, uh, the next thing. Uh, Alex McFarland made this statement. He said, a person should not evaluate Christianity solely on the basis of the bad behavior of a few members. Christianity should be observed based on the life of Jesus Christ and the teachings of the Bible. Amen. And I thought that was wonderful. That was great. So I kept it, here, kept it there. So let's see what the Bible says about hypocrisy in the church. The Bible says in Proverbs 5.21, the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his goings. When unchurched people, unsaved people see hypocrisy in the church, it causes them to question the authenticity of our Christian faith. So I'm telling you, it's important for us to hold a biblical standard of conduct. There's a scripture there you can write down, Galatians 3, verses 1 through 9. Can I say this just very boldly? If you profess to be a Christian, would you please live like you're a Christian? Amen. Would you please, please conduct yourself like a Christian? Because when you don't, you make it harder for all of the other Christians that's in your life. It's important for us to, to not make the cross of Christ of none effect and bring Him to an open shame. And so if I'm going to wear the name of Christ, doesn't mean that I'm never going to mess up, doesn't, doesn't mean that I'm never going to have a bad day, doesn't never mean that I'll never cuss again. I mean, I, 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 don't, I haven't cussed and I can't remember when, but, but I'm not going to say that I would never do that again, you know, because I never thought that I would have done it the first time. Uh, but, but it happened, and I found out that it's wonderful that Jesus can come in and He can cleanse you and make you clean. And you know that as good as I do. Right? What's it like to have been where you've been and to be where you are now? <laughs> I mean, don't you can clarify. I'm going to let you say 
where you've been. I'm not going to throw stones. Right. I'm not trying to throw. I'm trying to. I'm pulling a testimony. Absolutely. Out of him. Um, you know, some of you guys know. Some may not know. Um, a couple years ago, my father was in a catastrophic motorcycle accident. Um, he was bay flighted from um, Spring Hill and uh, over to Bayonet Point. Nobody heard from him for two days. Um, and I had actually been the one to find him in ICU at Bayonet Point Hospital. And he had all sorts of tubes down in him and everything else. And, um, you know, they gave him a very low chance on surviving. And he was, um, later on, he had gone into a coma for a period of time. Anyway, um, my father was the primary male role model in my life. He taught me how to work. He taught me how to, how to be a man. And when the thought and the mere image of him being ripped out of my life so suddenly um, put me in a very vulnerable place where the, the enemy had capitalized on that. And I had reverted back to old behaviors and old ways, and I had started using again. And uh, when I say using, using drugs. And it was to numb the pain. But I was in a, a predicament. I was trusted by members of the church to be a godly example. My uh, lovely father-in-law had put me in a position to where I would speak from this very pulpit that I'm sitting in today to you about how to be a godly person. And meanwhile, I had this nasty, dark secret. In fact, I remember sitting in the living room with that wonderful man right there, Ronnie Hatcher. And he said, because we were talking and I almost came out with it, and I was kind of gazing off in the distance, and he said, what is it? What is it that, that you can't face that's in the corner of your soul? And I got up and left because I couldn't come to terms with it. What I did was I lied, and I manipulated. I did whatever it is I had to do to make it seem like I can maintain this facade of being that holy person. Rather than just trusting in what I've taught and what's been taught to me and what I knew in my heart, rather than just trusting the ones that they say they love me, rather than trusting in God and letting him do his perfect work, I said, it's okay, I'm not bad, I can, I can fix this. Well, it eventually got to the point where um, I had tried to commit suicide by a massive drug overdose. And praise God for a lovely couple that attends this church, because if it wasn't for their swift action, I would be dead. Um, and I love them dearly. Anyway, it came out that I was obviously doing drugs. And the amount of hurt that I caused those around me was catastrophic. It was immeasurable. The people that have trusted me, the people that have done nothing but love and support me were deeply affected 
in ways that I couldn't even imagine. And, it, and the thing is, that wasn't my intention. I wasn't lying to try to hurt. I wasn't lying to try to, to, try to get something from them. I was lying because I was, I was ashamed because I was dealing with something I didn't know how to deal with. And it's funny because I knew how to deal with it. I could have just gave it to God and everything would have been fine. You know, we would have come out with it. We would have been able to handle it and prayed and gone through it. Anyway, I had been arrested, put on probation. And it's funny because I'm sitting here like, here we are again, okay? I've, I've lived my life clean for so long, and I've stayed out of trouble, and blah, 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 and here I am. And it's there in that point where I realized that maybe I truly wasn't saved from the beginning. Even though I loved God with all of my heart, I didn't know him. And it wasn't until I had to go through that place to sitting in the back of a cop car on my way to Land Lakes County Jail, I said, God, this is where you're going to meet me. This is where I'm going to see you, truly. And he met me there with love and grace. And I just knew from that point forward, if I'm honest, if I'm open, if I'm transparent, even to the point of hurting your feelings, as long as I'm true to myself and true to my, and true to my faith, God will bring us through it. And it wasn't until that point God's been able to. The relationships, if I may say, uh, I speak for all of us, have been much stronger. And we've been brought much closer. My understanding now of the word and how the blood of Christ actually works is so much clearer. And it also adds that much more to my testimony. Not only have messed up before I got saved and since I've been saved, everything's been fine. No, I can plainly say that just because you give your heart to Christ doesn't mean you're not going to get thrown curveballs. It doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect from this point forward. All it means is that you've got the strength to get through it, and you've got people around you who will carry you through it when you feel like you can't take another step. God will be there to pull you up and say, yes, you can. So yep. Now, some people would have called him a hypocrite. I said, he's not a hypocrite. I told my wife, I said, he's not a hypocrite at all. I said, he's struggling. He's in a struggle. If he was a hypocrite, he wouldn't be struggling. The struggle is proof that there's hope. You hear me? The struggle is proof that there's hope. And uh, he's been doing really well, and I'm grateful and thankful for that. And very, very excited about that. I really wasn't going to get into all that, but since you decided to go ahead and take that dive, I'm fine with it. Uh, but the point that we're trying to make here is that Sometimes people can misinterpret people and they can point fingers and say, well, you're a hypocrite because of this. And you're a hypocrite. No, 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 no. He, he was, the struggle is real. I remember telling my wife and my kids over and over and over, I said, that boy loves God. Amen. And I said, I'm going to help him because he loves God. 
you know, and I would hear from different people different things and I would tell them the same thing, that boy loves God and I'm going to help him and, and not going to give up on him. I think it's important for don't give up on the people in your life that's struggling and trying to live for God and trying to make the right choices and trying to make, you know, don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your parents. Don't give up on your friends. Don't give up. Keep praying for them. Keep trusting God. Keep believing God. And keep, keep believing that God has a great plan for their, li- for their life. And uh, the struggle, never forget, I'm going to say it again. Repetition is the key to learning. The struggle is proof that there's hope. Because if there was no hope, there would be no reason to struggle. All right? So... Christians are supposed to hold to a biblical standard. We're supposed to live holy. We're supposed to live righteous. We're supposed to do the very best that we can to live for Christ. Great, great there, Luke. The answer, how do you overcome hypocrisy? The feeling of I can't go to church because there's so many, maybe your kids are saying, well, you just quit trusting in man. The Bible says don't trust in man, trust in God. It says right there, Jeremiah 17, 7, 8, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Blessed is the man who trusts in God. Matthew 7, 18 through 20, Good tree can't bring forth uh, bad fruit. and Bad tree can't bring forth good fruit. It's not that they wouldn't try. They can't do it. It's impossible. So if what's in the core of your heart is good, that's what you're going to produce. If what's in the core of your heart is bad, that's what you're going to produce. So make sure that your heart's good. And if your heart's bad, let God rework your heart. Out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. Sometimes when God starts reworking us, it gets messy. Sometimes feelings get wounded. Sometimes people get hurt. Let God take you apart and put you back together again and make you, uh, uh, make you a testimony. James chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. Can a fountain put forth bitter water and sweet water? All good questions. Okay, here's question number 12, and this is the last one we're going to be dealing with in this series, okay? Um, how do I study my Bible? How do I study my Bible? Well, the first thing you got to do is read it. Yes. <laughs> got to read your Bible. We all need to read our Bible. But here's what the Bible says. You got to remember, number one, that the Bible is God's Word. The Bible says here, you want to read this for us there, son? Yes. Uh, 2 Timothy uh, 3, 16 through 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So when we let the Word of God go to work on us, okay, it's given by the inspiration of God. When we let the Word of God go to work on us and, and, and make sure that we have good sound doctrine, when we let it correct us and, and reprove us, when we let it instruct us in righteousness, the end result is we become a man of God or a woman of God you got to let the Word of God do its work on you. And so when we start studying the Word, we have to understand, first of all, that this is not just another book. This isn't Huckleberry Finn, okay? This isn't a book with j- just full of a whole, bunch of, uh, a whole bunch of stories that are just entertaining. Now, they are, and they're stories, and they are entertaining, but it's not a book f- uh, f- uh, just full of stories. It's God's Word. It's the infallible Word of God. It was written over 1,500 years by 40 holy men on three continents and the canonization of Scripture reduced it down to 66 books which produced one volume called the Bible. Now, we don't have time to get into the canonization of Scripture, but 
but it was all brought together. Some people say, well, how do you know that there's no more books of the Bible? I mean, I've heard of the Maccabees and I've heard of all these kinds of things. We don't have time to get into that, but I told them in the first service that what we'll do is we'll try to answer that question on the little video thing that we'll be doing as we go along. But it was written, this Bible, the infallible Word of God, the God-breathed Word of God, holy men of God spake as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. That's what the Bible says. And the Scripture is the inspired Word of God, inspiration of God, 1,500 years, 40 men, three continents, 66 books, one Bible. One Bible. Amen? For the Bible to work for you, you must believe the Bible. How do I study my Bible? How do you study your Bible? Got to prepare our hearts. Go ahead. That's right. Talk about that a little bit. Prepare your heart to receive God's Word through worship, prayer, meditation, and quietness. And uh, it's funny because this is something that we're trying to implement with our young adults group that Susie and I lead here. Um, It's very important that when you go to study the Word of God, that it's not just a one-sided conversation. See, the Bible um, helps facilitate a conversation between you and the Holy Spirit. So it's important to, while you're studying the Word, that you're in that quiet place, that you're in that spot where the Holy Spirit can speak to you. Remove as many distractions as possible. Phones, turn off the TV, choose a time when you can be largely alone. Hide your to-do list. Let others know that you'll be unavailable for a little while, etc. So make yourself available to God. It's so, I mean, you know just as well as I do, if not better, because you're so busy with the college and everything. But it's very easy to get wrapped up in the daily grind. It's very easy to be distracted. So it's important when you're in need, which we're in need every day to have that relationship with God, that you take the time to say, God, you're my one and only focus. You are all I am and all I have right now. Speak to me. Use me. Let me be the person that, that you have designed for me to be. And God will, and, God will and, use you. And in the process of that, you're preparing your heart to receive the word. You're preparing your heart to receive the words you're getting ready to study. Uh, So the first thing you need to do is you need to find a quiet place, prepare your heart, get ready, remove all distractions. The second thing is rely on God to help you. You you have to have that mindset. Lord, I'm going to let you teach me. I'm going to rely on you. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him because they are spiritually discerned. So you have to get into a spiritual mindset to receive. I love Luke 24, 45, where the Bible says that Jesus opened their understanding concerning the things of the Scripture. I've experienced that in my life. I've been like, there's times I've been reading the Word and studying the Word, and I'll be like, Lord, I'm stuck. What does this mean? And then, uh, and then most of the time, just begin to pray in the Spirit just a little bit, and then all of a sudden, it's like somebody turned the light on. There it is, boom. The spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. And a lot of times when I get stuck on a spot like that and then the Lord shows it to me, then inspiration comes and you all get it with both barrels the next Sunday. A lot of times that happens. It, it does. Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Here's another thing when you're studying your Bible. Allow qualified mentors to help you. Go ahead, take that. 
Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.15, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have, uh, may you have not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. There are some who are supernaturally anointed by God to teach the word. Romans 12.6-7, Find your God-anointed teacher of the word and become teachable. Now notice, that's God-anointed teacher. Not everybody is anointed by God to teach the Word. And sometimes when they teach, it's, you know it's not anointed by God because it doesn't line up with the Scripture. First of all, an anointed teacher is going to line up with the Scripture. Secondly, a God-anointed teacher is not going to try to steal the spotlight for themselves. They're always going to be pointing you to Jesus. Always, always. And so, because Jesus said, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. People are attracted to the Word of God. I've had people through the years say, how do you grow a church to two or three hundred? I said, you just brag on Jesus all the time. Because that's what the Bible says. It says, if you lift up Jesus, then people will be drawn un unto you and so unto Him. And so uh, make sure that you find your God-anointed teacher. Now, once you find that God-anointed teacher, become teachable. Don't go to that God-anointed teacher, sit under that teacher's teaching, be it man or a woman or whatever. You know they're God's assignment for you. You're assigned to them. They're assigned to you. You know that. You understand that. And then you want to think that you can argue with them all of the time. No, 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 no. If they're your teacher, then just like in school, you need to open up your heart and open up your mind and be willing to receive. Now, uh, mentors are very, very important. Qualified mentors are very, very important and they're difficult to find at times. Okay, the next thing is you got to settle the why question. Why am I studying the Word? If you're studying for the wrong reason and the wrong reasons, then you're going to lose your motivation to study the Word of God. I love this when I was putting this together. Why am I spending valuable time each day studying God's Word? When you know the why, you'll see the value. The Lord just kind of dropped that into me. When you know the why, you'll see the value. So here's some of the reasons why we study the Word. Go ahead, Luke. To learn about salvation, learning to work out your own salvation according to God's Word. Um, two is to grow as a disciple. When we quit growing, we start dying. Um, and the third is to be led by God's Word and gain wisdom from its pages. I like what uh, Carol sent me. Uh, she sent me a text in the first service. She said, to hide, we hide God's Word in our heart that we don't sin against God. Right? right? We, we learn the Word so we can defeat the devil. I, I like those things. Okay? To be uplifted and to learn how to be an encouragement and a blessing. That's one of the reasons we study the Word of God. I want to be an encouragement to you. I want to lift you up. And, I, and there's times when I need the Word of God to minister to me. So I need to be uplifted with the Word of God. So God's Word teaches us that. And we need to be ready, 1 Peter 3, to give an answer to all who ask concerning the faith. Go ahead and take the next one, then I'll hit 2 Timothy. Go ahead. Okay. To gain and share godly counsel for family, relationships, and work, etc. There's very few things that's as valuable to you as godly counsel. Here's what the Bible says. It says, wisdom is justified of her children. Wisdom produces in our lives. Children are products of the environment in which they are raised. Christian adults, and when I mean by Christian adults, I'm not talking about a person that's physically an adult. I'm talking about a grown-up Christian. Is the same as it is in the natural. They are products of the environment in which they are raised. 
It's important that you give yourself to good godly teaching and good godly study of God's Word so you can grow up in God. Because you will not be producing fruit for the kingdom until you become a mature believer. So you got to get through the adolescent stage. You got to get through the baby stage. You got to get through the adolescent stage. You know, you're in the adolescent stage when every time something doesn't go your way, you blow up and, well, bless God, I'm going to take my marbles and go down the street. How many times when you were growing up did you want to leave home when you were a teenager because nobody understood me and nobody's listening to me? Okay, well, we go through that when we're growing up in God too. But if you'll just stay where God plants you, then you'll reach that stage in your life where all of a sudden you'll grow up in God and you'll start producing fruit. And the Bible said we know people by the fruit that they bear. That's how you qualify your mentors, by the way. You look at the fruit that their life is producing. I'm not going to listen to someone tell me how to invest my money if they're flat broke. Okay? And I'm not going to listen to somebody tell me how to live for Christ if they're in and out, 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 and they waffle around and have absolutely no foundation. Amen? So that's how you qualify your mentors is through the fruit that they bear. Now here's the thing. 2 Timothy 2, 15 through 17, I want to show you this. We are to present that, that scripture, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We, we can pretty much quote that, okay? But what about verse 16 and 17? The Bible says we're to present ourselves to God as one approved. We're to rightly divide God's word. And then it goes on and it says, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly and their teachings will spread like gangrene. That's what it says. That's 1 Timothy chapter 15 and verse number 17. Now, what's it talking about there? Well, in the context of what it's talking about, it's talking about studying the word of God. It's talking about allowing the word of God to take place in your heart and in your life. And then it's saying, don't, when you're studying the Word of God, don't give yourself over to godless chatter. In other words, there's always going to be people that's going to come along and it doesn't matter what you're studying, they're going to have the answer. Well, the problem with that is sometimes they might have the answer and sometimes they might not. And if we open ourselves up to anybody at Anytime, then what will happen is eventually we'll start receiving erroneous doctrine and false doctrine and then that's because it becomes part of our heart is what will come out of our mouth and it'll start spreading like gangrene and gangrene destroys everything it touches. So you know when false doctrine is false doctrine by looking at the fruit. Is that doctrine starting to destroy people? Is it starting to destroy their lives? Is it destroying people's faith? And so if that's true, then you need to go back and start studying the Word of God, make yourself available for Holy Spirit to do His work. Okay, go ahead. Many kinds of studies. You have topical or contextual types and shadows. Okay, let's talk about what these are real quick. Topical would be like, okay, I, I need to study and see what the Bible, what did the Bible say about tattoos? That's a topic. Okay, so then we get into the scriptures and we start studying about that. Contextual is when you start studying the scriptures that are around it, which can give you a greater understanding of what is trying to be said. Okay, go ahead.
Uh, types and shadows, Old and New Testament. Okay, types and shadows are like uh, in the Old Testament, the lamb that was slain every year was a type and a shadow of the lamb that would be slain from the foundation of the world who was Jesus. In the Old Testament, you have oil and water and fire. All of those are types and shadows of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, there's the anointing, the oil, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The type of it in the Old Testament is oil. In the New Testament, we have baptism of the Holy Spirit, which would be water in the Old Testament. And then fire, the Bible said you would be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Fire is supernatural motivation that's put there that is God-induced and God-projected. That's fire. That's fire. And so in the Old Testament, you see fire then you're talking about God fill me with fire in the New Testament. Don't just fill me with the Holy Spirit, but fill me with fire. Uh, the life of Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that goes without saying. I mean, if you want God to crank your motor, start studying the life of Jesus. Amen. Let me throw something in here that I threw in in the first service. For some of these people that don't like this younger generation, you know, Jesus was 30 years old when he started his ministry, and it took the old folks in the church three and a half years to kill him. I mean, that's true. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all them, all that, I mean, they, they were the leaders of the temple and all that. And they were, they were stirring up the people saying, he's blaspheming, he's blaspheming. How can he know what he's talking about? He's blaspheming. And then they st stirred up the people and the people were crying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so, listen, <laughs> study the life of Jesus. That 33 and a half year old man that passed away is why I'm saved today. Amen. Amen. Right. He rose again and he's alive now, That's seated right. at the right hand of the Father and we can sense him and experience him. And he was 33 and a half years old when he passed away on Calvary. And then three days later, he rose again. Ooh, the life of Christ. Okay, go ahead. Uh, doctrinal. Okay, why do we believe what we believe? Can you give me scriptures for it? Sound doctrine. You need to study that. Go ahead. Uh, word studies like Hebrew and Greek. Word studies. Now, why would we do word studies? Because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek. Okay? Now, for those of you that think that the King James Version is the only version of the Bible, you need to understand that that's a translation from a translation. Because in the Old Testament... The Old Testament was written by Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek, in Hebrew and in Greek. And so then uh, it was later translated into Latin. And then King James said translate it from Latin into English. So for everybody that thinks the King James Version is the only Bible out there, you need to understand that you're worshiping a translation from a translation. All right? Now it's probably the closest that we have today, but it has so much old English in it that it's hard for us to understand in the culture that we have. And that's why sometimes I throw in these other translations to help us understand. If I ever get to the point where I have to just dig down and find out for sure, for sure, for sure, then I go on eSword, I pull up, I used to have books spread all over my desk, but not anymore. Uh, I just pull up my Strong's Concordance on eSword and I start hovering that mouse over and what's the Hebrew definition, what's the Greek definition, and then I'll all, many times do that off of the King James Version because it's the closest to that translation that we have. Uh, personal devotional. How, how is personal devotions uh, important to you? Oh, it's, I, I wouldn't say it's everything, but it's definitely 
the 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 fuel, you know, because my personal devotion with God and the Holy Spirit is what gets me gets me going. You know, it's what helps um, underline the issues that I have and helps define a uh, a proper way to take care of it. And uh, with those personal devotionals, that's where I get a lot of my re- uh, revelations. You know, God will speak to me in those times and it'll like just click, you know, be like, you know what, I've read that scripture a thousand times and I didn't understand it like this. So I love my personal devotional time because it's a way that I can just get in God's presence and find a solution to something that I may be going through or just just let God get, feed you. Right. Yeah. yeah, just let him feed you. Let That's him right. let his presence soak into you. That's yeah. exactly it. Uh, fun studies are uh, bibli- bibliographies when or biographical rather, biographical. When you study different people's lives in scripture. And listen, let me challenge you to do something. Everybody talks about Moses. They talk about David, King David. They talk about, why don't you get in the Old Testament or the New Testament and find a name you don't recognize and then study that. That can be so much fun. So I want to encourage you to do that. So here's some Bible study tools that you need. First of all, you need your Bible. If you're going to study the Bible, you need your Bible, okay? Get some other, uh, get some, and you can take a picture of this if you'd like and, and study it more or maybe up there on the screens over there. But um, study your Bible and then get a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. Now, I've pretty much got everything online anymore, but I used to have volumes and volumes of encyclopedias and atlases and commentaries and things, but I have them online now. So commentaries, Matthew Henry, pulpit commentary, Warren Wiersbe's Wiersbe's, uh, exposition commentary, uh, and then get some good preaching and teaching series. You'd be surprised what comes out under the anointing. When someone's teaching the Word of God, there are things, when I'm up here teaching and preaching the Word of God and we're really digging into something and the anointing is there and you can tell it's the Holy Ghost teaching through me, you know, later on I'll go back and listen to it not because I like to hear the sound of my voice. I want to see what the Holy Ghost said because at at that particular point I'm just yielding and allowing the Spirit to use my voice and speak through me and teach God's Word through me. And I have been shocked at some of the things that the Holy Spirit has put through my mouth. You know, I'll go back and say, Whoa! Hallelujah! That was good, God! Yeah, that's (laughs) Uh, awesome. I have a question. So what... um, Is there any online tools that you would recommend over maybe something that we don't know about or, I mean, because you mentioned sure. eSword. So. Sure, it's on the next slide. Oh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. not set up. No, he didn't know. No, I didn't. <laughs> awesome. These are online tools that, I, that I'm encouraging you. Use Bible.is. You guys hear me talk about that. I used it this morning. Bible.is. It'll read the word to you. So download that. It's free. Bible.org is a great place where you can go and you can do all kinds of studies through commentaries, through atlases, through... All kinds of all kinds of things. Uh, esword.com is probably my favorite. I use it a whole lot. Esword. Now I will tell you, you can download Esword, and it doesn't cost anything to download Esword and the Bible. But then when you get ready to start downloading uh, commentaries and uh, dictionaries and word studies and all of those types of things, that's going to cost you something. So I have like my my library on Esword is worth. 
a lot of money, okay? Because I, I, I've got a lot of stuff on there. But Esword is a fantastic place for you to go and you can get different uh, translations of the Bible and all kinds of things. SermonCentral.com is a place that uh, uh, I started sending uh, sermons there a couple of years ago. I checked, we're uh, at over a million views on 120 sermon outlines. Oh. So you can go on Sermon Central, just type that in, sermoncentral.com. You can search, you can search through, um, you can search uh, by subject, you can search by person, you can put my name in there and you'll recognize some of the messages that I preached here, the outlines and stuff, they'll be there. There's a subscription to it if you're going to use it all of the time. Uh, and then all kinds of things there. So it's, it's pretty good, pretty good. I even get people uh, writing me from uh, overseas about using that. Uh, the youtube.com forward slash jvorce14, that's our video channel. We have over 800 videos there. So if you want some good teaching series, preaching series, uh, testimonies, different things. And then over the last couple of years, this one right here has become very valuable to me, especially when dealing and, and working with new Christians and new converts. The kcm.org, that's Kenneth Copeland Ministries, but it's kcm.org forward slash believers dash academy. It's free. You can go there and download Bible studies. You can, you can use them for small group studies. Uh, there's all kinds of subjects there and all kinds of things. And so that's a, a great uh, place for you. And by the way, our YouTube channel is free too. We don't charge for the YouTube channel. So this is the word that, uh, of caution about, um, about uh, online studying. Be discerning because the devil can teach too. He used the Word of God when he was trying. Remember when Jesus was fasting and praying there on the mountain? Satan used the Word of God to try to trip Jesus up. And the devil will quote Scripture to you and twist it. And sometimes he can just take one or two words and make that entire thing seem different. So here's what you're looking for. You're looking for someone who's anointed and you're looking for someone who teaches the balance of the Word of God. Okay? Be discerning. Be discerning. And this is a great place where your spiritual mentors, your qualified spiritual mentors will come in handy. It's always better when you have a spiritual question to go to your mentor and ask it than it is to Google it. Amen? Because Google's not saved. And Google's not spirit-filled. How do you know that? Because they're not a person, folks. It's a program. It's a computer program. Okay. Anything there? Want to add to that? Because we're about uh, no. done here. Okay. All good? Well, I do have another question. And okay. I'm sure that um, I speak for everybody when I ask this. How is it that you get your hair so perfect? <laughs> this is serious, guys. I, I have an answer. Know. I have an answer. Mike's Barbershop. <laughs> and Mike, you should have been here today. <laughs> yep, that's, no. Um, hallelujah. I married, uh, my hair was dark. I married Donna 15 years later. Every stitch of it was white. She's the reason. No. All right. Okay. Uh, we're going to continue answering questions, but we're going to do it online. So keep them coming. If you have questions you would like us to at, answer, we're going to do the very best that we can to uh, try to answer them online. Okay? 
So God is good. All right. Well, praise the Lord. Let's all stand. Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day. Always remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed.